Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, astrologer Nick Dagan Best is joining me, and we're going to do part two of our events that coincided with eclipses in history episode. So, hey, Nick, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me back, Chris. Yeah, so we were back again already. Last month, we recorded a major episode, probably one of the most important episodes of the Astrology Podcast that I've ever done, where we looked at eclipses that coincided with important events in history. So that's basically part one of this, which was episode 423, which you can find on YouTube by searching eclipses that aligned with important events in history. So after we recorded that last month, we continued to find a number of new examples of eclipses over the course of the past few weeks. And also listeners sent in a bunch of eclipse examples that they found in history around the world as well. So we decided to do part two of the eclipses episode today to share some of that additional research. Um, additionally, we wanted to expand our study to some countries not mentioned in the previous episode um, to show you how this methodology of applying eclipses to world events you know, applies just about everywhere. So just for the data, uh, we are recording this today on Saturday, November 4th, 2023, starting at 12.15 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the uh, 425th episode of the Astrology Podcast. All right, so let's do a little brief recap at the beginning of what we found last time. So to recap, what we found in the last episode is that one, important events in history tend to take place around the time of eclipses, and two, that people born near an eclipse tend to have some of the most important events in their life coincide with eclipses in the future. Um, I think those are our two main conclusions, sort of like briefly summarized that we found in the last episode, right? Right, right. And then there's also the ranges to consider, the ranges of eclipses. Um, eclipses are somewhat rare, taking place every six months. And, and uh, the solar and lunar eclipses, they tend to come in pairs. Uh, the operative range seems to be about a week before or a week after an eclipse takes place. So about a month, more or less. Um, yeah, let me show and, that. And really. I believe you have a diagram to show there. Yeah. So here's our diagram that I put together. So we see we have one eclipse because um, eclipses always come in pairs. There's always like a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse, or sometimes the lunar eclipse becomes comes before. But basically, um, the operative range is a week before the exact eclipse and a week after the exact eclipse. And then since there's usually another eclipse right after that, there's another week before that and another week after that eclipse. Um, so that gives you total essentially like a one month time frame in terms of eclipse season as as we refer to it. Yeah, yeah. so that's 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 more or less the range that we're settling on. Um, sometimes we might talk about close calls as well. Um, so, but, so but going back to the other thing, was there anything about the recap of what we found last time that's worth expanding on? Um, well, I'm, no, those are the, the two basic principles that you have events, important events that take place during eclipses. And then we're looking at some of the personalities and history related to these events and, uh, and who amongst them are, are born close to eclipses. And uh, we've, we found quite a few of those kinds of examples too. So no, I think those are like the, the two basic considerations. Uh, everything else is a variant on that theme, I'd say. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, so the range of eclipses is about a the, in our methodology that we've developed, it's approximately a week before an eclipse and a week after an eclipse is the special range. Um, so eclipses only take place every six months, so they're not that frequent. 
Um, it does with our full eclipse range of a week before and a week after an eclipse. And with two eclipses being side by side, it does create a, a month long space, but um, that's still a relatively short span of time in terms of the broader scope of a year. And certainly the closer an event is to the exact day of an eclipse, it does seem the more potent or the more, more intense things are. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um all the while, the, like I know, um, we've we've um, some people are asking um, if if an eclipse is still relevant, even if it was it was not visible from a particular location on Earth. And our study fi finds that yes, you know, I, I, we found a number of uh, incidents where uh, eclipses were eclipses were occurring close to a really major event in in a given nation's history, but that the eclipse itself didn't necessarily pass over the the path didn't necessarily cross over. Uh, uh, the area in question. Uh, so while that's always an interesting way to employ eclipses and to study them astrologically, we're we're really what we're finding here is just sort of the 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 proximity to any eclipse occurring anywhere on Earth, and and that uh, uh, common sort of uh, coincident pattern with uh, with these major turning points in history. Right. So so it doesn't need to be visible from the location of the event necessarily. It's just the fact that an eclipse is happening at that time. Although certainly that could be a factor that that requires more research to see how visibility may or may not be relevant in terms of some of the different events that we've found through the course of history. And that may be worth looking into for a future episode. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit about eclipses in the past month, um, because in the past month, in October of 2023, we had two major eclipses. There was a solar eclipse in Libra on October 14th, and there was a lunar eclipse in Taurus on October 28th. Um, so we were following important events in the news and documenting what happened. And there were three stories in particular that stood out relative to those eclipses um, that were like major note noteworthy stories in the news. Um, that that are worth um, sort of recording or talking about a little bit briefly here before we get into other historical events, just to collect some of our recent sort of empirical observations about what's going on in the world and how eclipses tie into things. So the big one, of course, um, over the past month has been the war in Israel and Palestine. And this is actually what caused us to do the eclipses episode originally last month as we were searching for answers to try to understand the tragedy and the devastation of what we were seeing. Um, and I didn't have a lot of background in the history of the conflict previously, but I've been trying to learn as much as I can and found um, some notable things that are worth mentioning here in terms of the astrology and how it ties into those eclipses that were occurring last month. So um, just to briefly recap of where we're at currently, what happened last month was that um, on October 7th, Hamas launched a surprise attack on Israel, and there were uh, 1,400 Israelis killed, and more than 200 hostages were taken. So this happened um, around the time of the Libra eclipse on October 14th, just a little bit before it. After that, we're Israel... I'm sorry? Oh, no. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, after that, Israel began bombing Gaza in retaliation and launched a ground invasion later in the month. Um, around the October 28th eclipse in Taurus. It actually fell very close to that. Um, at this point, more than 10,000 Palestinians have been killed so far, um, mainly civilians, um, and half of the population of Gaza is, is children, is people that are under the age of 18. Um, so some of the, the pictures that are coming out of this are just have been horrific. Um, and most people, most of the Palestinians in Gaza 
um, cannot leave or can't escape, and many basic necessities are unavailable like water, um, sometimes electricity or fuel or other things like that. So um, watching this happen in real time and seeing it coincide with those eclipses um, made me want to go back and, and made us go back and study some of the history and some of the people involved to see how it might be tied in with eclipses astrologically. So one of the things that we discovered after the last episode was that um, it turns out that uh, the state of Israel itself was founded shortly after a solar eclipse in 1948. So there was a solar eclipse on May 9th in Taurus, uh, May 9th, 1948. And then just a few days later, Israel was founded on May 14th, 1948. Um, so let me put the chart up for that. And here's the chart. So we can see um, the chart has Libra rising, which is important because, of course, the eclipse at the beginning of October was in the sign of Libra. So it fell in the rising sign of the country. And um, we see that the moon in the chart of Israel was in Leo and the sun was in Taurus with the North Node. So just about a week before that, on May 9th, there was a solar eclipse in the sign of Taurus. So that's one major thing is that Israel was founded on May 14th, 1948. And then immediately after it was founded, um, it started the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, uh, which Israelis call the War of Independence and saw as the establishment of Israel as returning to their homeland in part after the horrors of the Holocaust and being denied the ability to immigrate to other countries like America, who turned them away after World War II, as well as as a response to pogroms and persecutions across Europe and Russia, even prior to the Holocaust. Um, whereas Palestinians call this the Nakba or the catastrophe and see it as the displacement from their homeland where hundreds of thousands became refugees and were unable to return home, as well as hundreds of villages were destroyed and Palestinian civilians were killed by Israeli militias. So Palestinians actually mark um, May 15th as Nakba Day, the day after the Israeli Independence Day. And... Um, in Arabic, Nakba means disaster, catastrophe, or cataclysm. So I looked up the Wikipedia page for the Nakba, and it says the Nakba, um, which literally means disaster, catastrophe, or cataclysm, quote unquote, also known as the Palestinian catastrophe, was the loss of the Palestinian society and homeland in 1948 and the permanent displacement of a majority of the Palestinian Arabs. The term is used to describe both the events of 1948, as well as the ongoing occupation of the Palestinian territories, such as the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, and the persecution and displacement of Palestinians throughout the region. So that's from wikipedia.org slash Nakba. Um, in this way, that eclipse around the time of the founding of Israel kind of reminds me of the eclipse we talked about in the last episode that happened mm. just before the fall of Constantinople, where the omen was taken as positive by the Ottomans who were taking over the city of Constantinople at that time. But it was a negative omen to the inhabitants of the city who lost their city at that time. So, yeah, yeah so that's a yeah. major background piece of history. Uh, absolutely. And also, I mean, it occurs to me just on a side that um, with May 15th being, uh, uh, you know, the May 14th independence, the May 15th Nakba, um, the, the sun on these days goes from 23 to 24 degrees of, of Taurus, which is where Uranus is transiting over this at this time. So, I, yeah, there's that connection between the, the, the eclipses and their coincidental 
um, alignment and then, you know, other, other factors like that planet coming in. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so in other areas recently, there's also, you know, key figures who are in, involved in this at the present time that turns out have eclipses in their birth charts and history as well. So um, one of the principal ones we found is that Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the current prime minister of Israel, was actually born um, on a solar eclipse in Libra. He was born on October 21st, 1949, and an eclipse happened just 14 hours after he was born on October 22nd at 2.23 a.m. So um, 12.23 a.m., or or maybe in his zone, it was 2.23 a.m. Sorry, I'm, no, I might you're be right. reading a different chart. Am I? Okay. Right. No, no, that was right. 12.23. So this is his birth chart where we have the sun at 27 Libra and the moon at 19 Libra. And that eclipse occurred just like 14 hours later, basically in late Libra. And that, of course, is relevant here since, of course, the eclipse that just happened in October also happened in Libra. Um, conjunct the south node just as it is in his chart. So there was a weird repetition here in terms of the eclipse he was born on and then this eclipse happening at this um, pivotal point in terms of his life and in terms of his leadership. And this is certainly something that he's going to become known for. It'll probably be the primary thing he's known for in retrospect. Um, so that was really important, something that that all astrologers started realizing over the past month. Um, I also tried to to research um, Hamas, and I found that um, the current head of Hamas, or the man who's thought to be the current head of Hamas, his name is Ismail Han Hanaya, and Hania, he was actually yeah. Hania, and he was actually born just before a solar eclipse. So he's he was born on January 29th, nineteen sixty two, and then there was a solar eclipse just days later on February fifth, nineteen sixty two. So that's another just really striking example. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find his chart and where I put it, but it's just a, a, another really striking example of how, you know, this basic principle that we found, here's his chart. So um, we see that his moon is in Scorpio and his sun is in um, Aquarius in the same sign as the South node. And so just almost a week yeah. later after he was born, we had that solar eclipse in set in Aquarius so it just really underlines that point that we found in the last episode that sometimes people who are born near a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse, that some of the most important or some of the most defining events in their lives will then subsequently take place when there's an eclipse in the sky again in the future. Yeah. And again, especially when you combine it with the transits, you notice that Netanyahu has the sun at 27 Libra, and that's pretty much where Mars was. Um, as this was all erupting. And meanwhile, Hania, the leader of Hamas, has Mars at 27 Capricorn, which is where Pluto was. And, and along with the eclipses, we were you know, really seeing how the Mars-Pluto square that was co coinciding with the eclipses uh, uh, was sort of indicative of, of the, the severity of, of everything. Um, and, and, and once again, we see those transits deliberately pulling in, or, or very directly rather, pulling in uh, uh, planets in the nativity of the two principal uh, uh, opponents. Yeah, for sure. That Mars-Pluto yeah. square that happened on October 7th and 8th and when exact then really coincided with that. And it was hitting both their charts as well as other charts. Um, but then having it happen also in eclipse season. I mean, that's one of the other things we pointed out in the last episode where for example, when we talked about COVID, for example, there were lots of other mundane transits that were happening at the time that were indicative of 
what was taking place or what was about to take and take place like the Saturn Pluto conjunction in January of 2020 but then the eclipses they seem to amplify things and they just add an extra charge to all of the astrology that's happening at the time indicating that a really important turning point is about to take place and sometimes they almost act as like triggers of the other mundane transits that are swirling at the time yeah so um yeah so those were the primary things that I wanted to point out about that. Um, there's other things that we could go into, but uh, for the sake of this, I think that's the main thing that's important. Um, I did want to say that as of our recording on November 4th, um, just thousands of civilians have been killed at this point, and the images that are still coming out are horrifying, and it's still ongoing. So my hope is that calls for a ceasefire are successful as we move further and further away from eclipse season, and that from this tragedy and immense loss of life, that the world is galvanized into finding a more tenable solution that brings peace and justice and true equality to the region. Um, in some ways, the point of many of the civil rights examples that we highlighted in the last episode was to show that sometimes these very dark and horrific events can act as catalysts for change because they put the spotlight on different atrocities that are taking place and then galvanize us into finding ways to ensure that they will never be repeated again. So I genuinely hope that that's the case here. And that was part of the contribution we tried to make in the last episode. And we'll see how things play out you know, here in the future um, in terms of that. Indeed. All right. So there were two other notable stories in the news that coincided with the recent eclipses. One of them was here in the US, and there was a whole period of like a, almost a month where the Republicans had um, done something really historic by like getting rid of the Speaker of the House for the first time in history. And they had trouble electing a new one for, for two or three weeks. And then finally, um, very close to the second eclipse, the lunar eclipse in Taurus, um, a person named Mike Johnson was elected Speaker of the House, and so I, of course, having you know come off of coming out, having just come off of doing the eclipses episode with you, I immediately looked at his chart and I found that he was born literally the same day as a lunar eclipse in Leo on January thirtieth, nineteen seventy two, and then of course he was elected Speaker of the House just three days before. The lunar eclipse went exact in the sky. Um, he was elected on October 25th, and the eclipse happened in the sky on October 28th. So that was just really startlingly, you know, on the nose there. Yeah, indeed. I, I thought I would just point out as an aside that Mike Johnson, uh, born January 30th, 1972, there's there's two other sort of notable Republican figures born very, very close to him. Uh, Amy Comey Barrett is two days older than him, and Nikki Haley is 10 days older than him. So I'm just throwing that out there as an aside, an observation uh, that there's, yeah, those, those 1972 Aquarians seem to be uh, quite resolvedly uh, Republican. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting and could be yeah. important. Um, here, here's his chart where we can see his sun is in, in Aquarius, tightly conjunct the North Node, and yeah. his moon. We don't have a birth time, of course, but his moon is in mid Leo. So there was a full moon lunar eclipse that day, the day he was a, born. 
a total lo lunar eclipse. It looks like quite close enough to the nodes for it to be total. So yeah, quite powerful. But yeah, even uh, Coney Barrett or um, um, Nikki Haley being that close, you know, a week or so away from that eclipse, that that sort of pulls them into uh, um, potentially into these sort of eclipse events as well in their own right. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so this makes Mike Johnson third in line for the presidency after Biden and Harris. Um, which is a extremely high position in terms of American politics. And, um, you know, obviously the fact that he was born on an eclipse makes this eclipse more personally relevant for him in terms of his chronology. But the fact that it happened on an eclipse, he was elected and became speaker on an eclipse may actually imply that it could end up being more historically relevant in the long term than it might seem at first. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um Another major one that happened um, that was more celebrity oriented, but right on the day of the eclipse on October 28th, 2023, the actor uh, Matthew Perry passed away. Um, he, uh, I think reportedly he drowned um, in, in a hot tub that day. And he was like an actor that was on a very popular American, uh, what sitcom comedy called Friends in the 1990s. And he was also in a, a number of movies in the late 90s and early 2000s. But um, I looked up his chart. He was born August 19th, 1969. And it turns out that he was actually born just a week before a lunar eclipse in Pisces. So there's a lunar eclipse on August 27th, uh, 1969 in Pisces. And so basically he was born on a lunar eclipse, and then he died on the day of the lunar eclipse. Um, and then I went back and looked at his chronology because I remember he did a bunch of interviews just a year ago about his life because he published an autobiography on November 1st, 2022. And then he went on a press tour about it. And um, this was right in between two eclipses last year. Um, and it was about a week before a lunar eclipse on November 8th, 2022, that he published his autobiography. So um, it's really striking in terms of his autobiography coming out on an eclipse and him passing away an eclipse and having been born on an eclipse. And even though it's, it's you know, sad in some ways, it's kind of beautiful that he got to tell his story in his autobiography before he passed away and that it came out on an eclipse that was fitting with, you know, his birth. Indeed. Um, and yet another aside to contribute from me, uh, as it turns out, Matthew Perry was just one of four cast members from Friends born during eclipses. Lisa Kudrow, Courtney Cox, and David Schwimmer are also all born very, very close to eclipses, wow. uh, leaving Matt LeBlanc and Jennifer Aniston as being our eclipseless uh, a pair from the Friends cast. Um, so take that as you will. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just as an aside, it's 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 interesting. Yeah. So I wanted to note that even though it's a little bit of a detour going to like celebrity stuff here, but it's still relevant in terms of events that were taking place at this time and some of the things that we're learning as we've discovered this methodology over the past month and the different um, aspects of it that are falling into place through just our empirical studies of it. Exactly. So, the, the the point being that that eclipses have this power, whether it comes to these world shattering global events like what's happening uh, in the Middle East or or what what was happening in Washington, or just down to very personal independent tragedies like like the coming and and leaving of a of a particular person in this case a, a beloved figure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So 
speaking of that, um, one of the things we were trying to figure out in the last episode was what made certain people respond to eclipses more strongly in their chronology. And after the episode, I was sort of pondering over the next week, like wondering if me, for example, having the moon in the first house had made eclipses more relevant to me because it's something that has stood out for me in my chronology. And then somebody, I think it was Lisa Shine pointed out, she was like, well, you're actually born a week before a lunar eclipse, which I had never really thought of that much before aside from my secondary progressions, but it's true. So it turns out I'm actually born within a week of an eclipse that puts me in that range of having it sort of as an eclipse signature in my birth chart. And I've had some pretty notable events take place in my life around eclipses maybe the most notable of which is that I actually ended up publishing my book on Hellenistic astrology the day of a lunar eclipse in 2017. Um, and I did that partially because it was a really good electional chart that day. And I strongly have the belief that eclipses are not always bad, especially if the chart itself is is good. They can still sometimes be used as, as powerful turning points. Um, but I, I wasn't at the time thinking of it in terms of having been born near a, a lunar eclipse like that and then you know releasing my book on one yeah it also kind of occurs to me that i i met you not too long before an eclipse period in 2005 because you and i were becoming friends online i think around mid-march of 2005 uh and patrick soon after and the eclipses in 2005 occurred in april there was uh, a solar eclipse on april 8th and a lunar eclipse on april 24th so even uh, uh, the 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 merging of the 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 great triad of myself, you, and Patrick Watson, uh, all came together very very close to an eclipse period. Yeah, for sure. And here's my chart. You can see my sun in Scorpio and moon in Aquarius. And so there's a lunar eclipse in Taurus on November eighth, and I was born on November first. And then what's interesting is then there was a solar eclipse. Um, two weeks after that in Sagittarius, and when that actually happened in my secondary progress chart, that's when I. Um, started studying Hellenistic astrology and moved to to live out near you and study ancient texts um, as part of a translation project. So, um, and there's been a number of other eclipse events in my life that I won't go into, but it was just interesting, you know, that as we're finding this, we're discovering stuff about world events, we're discovering stuff about celebrities, um, but also finding things even in our own charts sometimes when you discover a new techniques like this that that surprises you or fills in additional information. Yeah, and and when you think about it, going going back to that that anecdote that your progress chart was at the eclipse in two thousand five, the same year that you wound up moving out, uh, you and I met by like March, and we were becoming friends through April, and then by the end of May, um, was when Bill Johnston and I flew out to Seattle and we met you in person, and I think that was when you were invited to to move to Cumberland. So, it, your your progress chart was was at that eclipse, and also just sort of that that passage between. March and May with the eclipse in April of 2005 as a transit also seemed to be um, connecting to your circumstance. Yeah, for sure. And I've had yeah. other really important eclipse events as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I've mentioned in some of my other eclipse episodes, so I'm going to into them here, but just to wrap up this section, you know, keep an eye out for people who are born near an eclipse because eclipses seem to be more important for them as we'll see in some of our other examples coming up. And I know even a lot of people in the comments um, have seen things in their um, families and seen family members and other people in their personal lives where this technique has worked out very well for as well. So it's not just celebrities necessarily, but sometimes just people that are imprinted with eclipses in their chart that tends to be a recurring theme um, during the course of their life.
All right, so let's move on to the next section where I want to return to the British royals because one of our most striking examples last time and one of the most popular ones actually on social media, especially on Instagram and TikTok, where I released like a one minute clip about it there was the eclipses involving the British royal family. So just to give a brief recap, what we found in the last episode was that um, Prince William was born the day of an eclipse. His wife, Kate Middleton, was born on an eclipse. His parents were married on an eclipse. His mother, Diana, died on an eclipse. Uh, his father, Charles, the coronation happened on an eclipse earlier this year. And then even further back, three of the kings who died in the 20th century prior to Queen Elizabeth all died on eclipses in the 20th century. So we found just this crazy pattern of eclipses um, in the royal family. And after the episode was over, it turns out that there were even more eclipses that we hadn't found at that point. So we actually found a few more to throw in. So one of them that a few different listeners pointed out um, after we released the episode is that um, after Princess Diana and, and Prince Charles divorced, um, Charles got together with uh, a woman named Camilla, and they actually got married on an eclipse back in 2005. So they were married on April 9th, 2005, and there was a solar eclipse on April 8th, 2005. So I thought that was super interesting that it's like the eclipses are still very tied in with, with his chronology um, in other ways that we hadn't even realized in the last episode. Indeed. And um, it's funny because I, this is that same eclipse that I was just talking about that we met under. This is that same period. And it's funny because um, the, the the wedding was actually supposed to be the day earlier, but it was postponed a day because Pope John Paul II had died on April 2nd and his funeral was held, was held on April 8th. And so they, they delayed the marriage to April 9th, the day after the eclipse. And I remember that. I remember as you and I were becoming friends that the Pope died. Uh, uh, and to some degree, I remember the the wedding between Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles. That's um, your primary memory of me. It was like the Pope died the Pope when you dying. met me. Yeah, yeah. I met I, I met Chris, and and the Pope died. Yeah, you're a little suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I was very suspicious. Who's this okay. kid coming into my life when the Pope dies? Exactly, that's a bad omen. If like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and look where it's, heads. look where it's gotten us. I mean, exactly. That you probably should have paid attention to that omen. I have to say. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! All right. So that's amazing, though. So for two points, because one, you're saying that that means their wedding was originally scheduled for April 8th, the day of the eclipse. But because right. Pope John Paul II died on April 2nd and his funeral ended up being on April 8th, which is interesting in and of itself that the marriage was moved to the following day, April 9th. Right, right. So and then I think you noticed that the eclipse degree is actually opposite Charles Venus within a few degrees, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's super important. Um, we'll come back to that, but that also then means like the Pope died on an eclipse, which is really striking and interesting. Um, mm. There's other British royal ones. There's one other major one we noticed wh where, you know, Prince Harry was a little bit suspiciously absent from our um, list since he was not born on an eclipse. However, um, some listeners pointed out that actually Prince Harry and Meghan Markle um, announced that they were leaving the British royal family in early 2020, or at least they began that process very close to eclipses. So they announced on January 8th, 2020, that they were stepping back from their roles in the family. And then just two days later, a lunar eclipse took place on January 10th in the sign of cancer. 
So this was the beginning of a much more public split with the family over that's taken place over the past few years and has been very public. But it's interesting that that important turning point actually took place right there on an eclipse. For sure. So, yeah, so I think that was really striking because it ties Harry in. I'm sure there's probably more eclipse stuff in terms of their chronology. I didn't go into it further than that, but it's interesting that they're not sort of immune for that, but as part of that family, you know, they're they're tied into it to some extent as well, the eclipse signature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um I mean, sure enough, they're they're close enough to the royal family. I mean, of course they would be in that same orbit, stands to reason. For sure. So some of the conclusions from the royal eclipses, because there's been a lot of discussion about this on social media. Some people, you know, see this or they saw the clips that I released, and then they concluded that the royals must be planning this on purpose and that they're using astrologers. But it's not actually clear that this is the case. And I, I wanted to make that clear here. So people often state it as if it's a given or that it can, can be taken for granted, but it's not necessarily something we know for sure. While we do know that Diana consulted with at least one astrologer, we don't know if the family still regularly employs them, and that's not actually been an official position for centuries. So sometimes I see people like stating that astrologers is like still an official position with the royals, and that's not, at least as far as the public knows, not something that's true. Um, right. While while some of the dates, or did you have a point about that? Oh, just just that. I mean, you know, I'm thinking to to John D, who was was uh, a astrologer to Queen Elizabeth the first, I believe, in the 16th century, and he's the original 007. So I'm thinking they should make a a, a James Bond movie where he's also an astrologer because the original 007 was an astrologer. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, Speaking, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we know hundreds of years ago that you yeah. know the royals did use astrologers, but it's just like. Astrology fell out of universities, and they stopped having a chair for astrology at universities in the 16th and 17th and 18th centuries. And it also stopped being an official position um, in amongst royalty for the most part as well. So it's just not a given that that's still a thing. And um, while some of the dates could have been planned deliberately, um, they're you know in their chronology, like let's say a wedding date or a coronation date. There's many others in their chronology where it's unlikely that they did things deliberately to coincide with eclipses. You know, like the fact that um, Kate Middleton, like Prince William's future wife, happened to be born the day of an eclipse six months before him. That's not. I don't think that's planned. Like that's not something orchestrated. No. <laughs> it starts. It starts getting into like conspiracy theory land if you yes. start reaching too much and saying that they're they're planning everything uh, out or or that. You know other things like certain deaths and things like that. Also, I do not think were were planned like based on eclipses or something like that. Um, but instead, uh, the main takeaway from the royal eclipses is just that prominent and powerful people often naturally end up doing important things around the time of eclipses, due to some strange property of nature that is at the core of what astrology is. So, additionally, yeah, the other I mean, thing. The I was just going to say the main point is that astrology works, you know. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, even if people are not consciously planning events, uh, um, you know, around eclipses, the fact that they would do so sort of naturally, um, yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's almost like a, a people are trying to talk a, a around uh, just the astrology itself and and make it all sound planned. Uh, whereas, yeah, it, it's just not. These are, yeah. These well, are, people. Yeah. 
you know, gets tied in with people wanting to think that like elites are like controlling things or are more in charge and more manipulating things with things like astrology yeah. than they are. Yeah. But for us, the point was just like, you know, po powerful and prominent people naturally tend to do things around the time of eclipses, you know, just by virtue of, of the nature of the universe. And also that sometimes eclipses run in families. And if there's like a strong eclipse signature in a family like we have here, then it's something that can repeat. Um, so the point of this was to demonstrate that astrology works, not to claim that the elites are constantly using astrology to manage their schedules. While it's possible that some may do that, it can't be taken for granted in all cases. And that wasn't meant to be the takeaway. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's move on and let's talk about other countries. So after the last episode, we tried expanding our research to a number of different countries and found a number of new examples, as well as listeners um, from all around the world sent in a bunch of different examples as well. So here's some of what we got so far. Um, let's start with a section on Russia. So there were some major eclipses involving Russia that we found after the last episode. Some of these were sent in by listeners, and then it caused us to go back and investigate further and find even more. So the first thing that was sent in by a listener named uh, Caroline Marshall on YouTube in a YouTube comment is she pointed out that the fall of the Soviet Union and the establishment essentially of the current Russian state happened in December of 1991, um, right on an eclipse. So yeah. the the Russian flag was raised December 25th, 1991, and there was a lunar eclipse right before that on December 21st, 1991 in the sign of Gemini. Yeah, there was a ceremony where they they lowered the, the Soviet Union flag, the hammer and sickle, and they raised the, the Russian tricolor flag, which had been used just briefly uh, in the first months of the Russian Revolution in 1917. And that's the one that defines the, the current uh, uh, democratic republic. Right. Um, and it looks like this was actually in between eclipses because there was a lunar eclipse right before it. And we see the sun there in early Capricorn conjunct the North Node and the moon's in Virgo. So that means um, the moon would have come up and conjoined the sun not too long after that, a week or so later uh, to form a solar eclipse. That's right. Yep. Okay. So that's super important. That's basically the founding of the modern Russian state happened on an eclipse. Um, additionally, in that chronology, another listener pointed out that um, Vladimir Putin actually became the acting prime minister of Russia in 1999 on an eclipse. So mm -hmm. he was appointed acting prime minister on August 9th, 1999. And then there was a solar eclipse just two days later on August 11th, 1999 in Leo. Um, so shout out to uh, YouTube commenter Geraint Morgan. Um, on YouTube for pointing that one out because that's actually super super big. Yeah, I've I've talked about that that one before because that's also this Venus retrograde that's uh, that's a pattern that's very prominent in Putin's life, and it's worth pointing out that 19 years after this eclipse when he came to power uh, within like about two three weeks of the eclipse in august of 2018 is when um putin met up with donald trump in their their big summit of 2018 um you know i don't know if you remember trump with his his soccer ball um but that that also that's sort of like the eclipse return of this initial you know coming to power of putin in in august of 1999 i remember that eclipse very well because it was a very malefic looking eclipse you had 
um, um, the, 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 the sun in, in Leo, uh, opposite Uranus in Aquarius, square Mars in Scorpio, and square Saturn in Taurus, making this sort of grand fixed cross with all these sort of uh, uh, ominous looking planets and this, uh, you know, this ominous configuration. So it really was like a, a, an eclipse for the ages. Okay, so let yeah. me put that up really quickly. Here's the eclipse chart for August 11th, 1999. And let me advance it. So the conjunction uh, was at 18 degrees of Leo, and the north node was at 12 Leo at the time, and it was opposite Uranus at 14 Aquarius. It was square Saturn at 16 Taurus, and um, the eclipse was square Mars at, at 16 degrees of Scorpio. I like this example also because it's obviously a major important turning point, but one of the things that's fascinating about it is how obscure, when I watch like documentaries from that time period about the rise of Putin, like how obscure he was up until yeah, that yeah. point, and then all of a sudden- Up he until that like, day. Yeah. Right, up until that day, and he like emerges suddenly as this emerging world leader, but most people, most leaders around the world like didn't know anything about him or didn't know what to make of him. And there was a lot of, it, it goes back to that theme that we touched on a few different times in the last episode in both positive and negative examples, um, where sometimes there can be a small event that lays the seeds for something that will become super important. But at the time, because it's a new beginning, it's not recognized the significance of that event until later that it will have much greater magnitude of, of importance than some people may realize at the time. Yeah, and and to to compound this, I happen to know that in in Putin's life, when he was offered the job on that day by Boris Yeltsin, he had only just gotten back to Moscow from Saint Petersburg, where he had been attending his father's funeral. So there's actually there's this you know not only is he suddenly elevated to international prominence literally out of nowhere, nobody outside of you know people in the intelligence. Uh, uh, department knew his name until August 9th, 1999, at which point we all knew it. Uh, but it's also just interesting as an aside that is, you know, he's he's coming from his father's funeral and suddenly like almost unexpectedly uh, uh, being swept into power, you know, because Yeltsin appointed him uh, his, his successor. So it wasn't like he had to campaign or, or you know, overtly try very hard. He was sort of, uh, uh, you know, picked as, as the, the best possible choice. Well, although, I mean, who knows what happened behind the scenes in terms of why he ended up in that position oh. ultimately, like, I, I don't know. I, I have some idea. Um, Yeltsin had gone through uh, five prime, Putin was his fifth prime minister in about a year and a half. Uh, Yeltsin knew he had to retire for his health, uh, but also because he had been involved in certain corrupt dealings, he was be, being very careful to appoint someone that he knew would not pursue him legally for whatever transgressions he had made. Uh, and Putin, you know, had been in the KGB, um, chances are he always was, even after leaving. Uh, but one way or the other, he, the, the, Yeltsin had confidence that putting Putin in power uh, would give him, would, would protect him from ever being pursued legally for his own, uh, uh, you know, financial transgressions. Um, so it, you know, all, uh, all, the, all the books say about as much uh, about that situation. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, so and then he he's you know uh, has played a major role in like steering Russian society since that time has become a major world figure in different ways, and um, so obviously that eclipse was a super important turning point um, yeah. in Russian history as well as in his own life, and then that caused and us to go back. 
Oh, I was just going to interject. We didn't put this in, but it suddenly occurs to me. He's also famous, you know, eventually when he, uh, he gave this famous speech in Munich in February of 2007, um, where he basically kind of went mask off, as the kids say, uh, uh, in terms of his feelings about the West. And that also occurred during Eclipse. So there are there are other things that we keep finding. That's just sort of a last minute addition. But uh, it's it's a speech that is cited a lot these days, you know, since the Ukraine war as, as sort of his... Uh, revealing his intentions, if you will, or his perspective. Mm, okay. All right. Um, so that caused us to go back further in Russian history. And one of the another one that a, another listener, um, a YouTube commenter named uh, Nelly's, Nelly Zumrond, it, it runs together. So I'm not sure if those are one word or two, but they pointed out that the Battle of Stalingrad um, started and ended on eclipses. And this was the bloodiest battle. Um, of the war in World War II, which started on, around August 23rd, 1942, um, very close to a set of eclipses where there was a solar eclipse in Leo on August 12th, and there was a lunar eclipse in Pisces on August 26th. So it's like this battle starts on eclipses in August of 1942, and it lasts all the way until the beginning of February, February 2nd, 1943, where um, that was the end of the battle. And then there was a solar eclipse right after that on February 5th, 1943 in Aquarius. So that's super striking because it's one of the most important uh, and pivotal battles in World War II. And it was bookended very perfectly by eclipses. Yeah, this this tends to be my experience in studying war is uh, the eclipses don't necessarily coincide with the beginning and endings of wars. Once in a while they do, like say the Crimean War did. Uh, but more typically... Uh, the eclipses coincide with these sort of big, uh, decisive battles uh, uh, where, where you know, matters really move in one direction or the other, uh, regardless of how the war is going to ultimately go. So, yeah, the, this is this is sort of case in point. This really was a, a notorious battle. I think literally a million men killed just in this one, uh, this one confrontation. Yeah, it's crazy the extent of the carnage there. And you know, some historians debate over, I've read like Reddit threads and things like that over like, what was the turning point in World War II? And this was the turning point for the Eastern Front. Um, but some people argue that may have been one of the turning points for the war in general, or that even for some Germans, they may have realized that this is the point that they lost the war uh, or what have you, although that's that's debated. Yeah, no, I think, I think largely that's, that's, astute you know i mean eventually in june of 44 that the, you know there's the 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 allies land on the beaches of france and then in earlier in 43 uh maybe about 6 months after stalingrad is when uh the allies first uh, hit the the soft underbelly of italy um but uh really by the you know even yeah even by the time the allies invade italy and italy has switched sides stalingrad has already happened and um and uh, even paulus the german general who was leading the the military there is taken prisoner along with anyone else who managed to survive that that terrible thing um so really in many ways it was decided because after stalingrad the the soviets start chasing the germans west as opposed to the other way around and eventually they'll wind up in berlin um uh, just as you know the 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 western allies are are entering west germany uh it's the soviets who enter berlin and 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 essentially you know um uh, compel Hitler to to uh, uh, un unlive himself, uh, unalive himself. 
Um, so yeah, um, I, I think, I think this really did clearly Stalingrad is, is the most decisive, uh, uh, moment of the war. Um, Westerners forget how really, you know, that the main thrust of the war was between Germany and Russia and everything. I mean, there was a lot happening all over the globe, but, uh, but nothing was quite like it was between uh, Germany and Russia in that, in that battle. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so these that were sent in my listeners, this caused you to go back and look further into Russian history and you found a bunch of stuff with the different yeah. Russian czars, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one of these, I was, I, I was aware of for quite some time, but it, it hadn't occurred to me when we were doing the episode, but I'm really happy to bring this back because it's very interesting. Um, basically, I mean, just, just to, to introduce, um, most of the czars in the last sort of 200 years, 150, 200 years of the the, the Russian Empire prior to the, the Bolshevik Revolution, everything that followed, uh, most of the czars were born during eclipse periods, uh, the vast majority of them. Uh, and interestingly, that the ones who weren't, some of them like, like Peter the Great and Catherine the Great were not. Uh, but the way they came to the throne was like, neither of them came to the throne because they were the, the absolute sole heir to the throne. They sort of they came about through more complicated means. And that seems to be the pattern here. Anyone, uh, most of the czars who were born to be a czar, that is, they were the firstborn child of a czar, uh, were born during eclipses. But I want to start with, with probably the most striking example um, is Tsar Paul I, who was the son of Catherine the Great and Tsar Peter III. Um, Tsar Paul was born on October 1st, 1754 at 11.49 a.m. in St. Petersburg, right in the center of a total lunar eclipse at eight degrees of Aries. Uh, now, there's a few things that are interesting just about this alone. Um, his parents were married nine years earlier on September 1st, 1745, when the lunar nodes were reversed to his natal nodes. And this will be important uh, uh, to note uh, in a bit. Um, so um, his parents were married nine years before he was born. And during that nine year gap between the wedding and his birth, uh, there was a controversy in the Russian court because uh, Peter and Catherine were not producing an heir. I mean, that was basically the only job that a, a, a wife of the, 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 the czar had, a czarina had was to produce a male heir for, you know, for the succession, for the Royal succession. So with no baby being born at all, um, you know, the, uh, Catherine the Great, well, she wasn't Catherine the Great yet. She was just Princess Catherine. She was being blamed for being barren and uh, Prince Peter was being blamed for being weak. But eventually nine uh, years later, she did give birth to Tsar Paul. Uh, now, later, she would claim that the, the baby wasn't even Peter's, that, it, that he was the child of a soldier that she had had an affair with. Uh, but the truth is, Paul really seems exactly like his father. Anyway, I won't go too far into that. Um, but the long and short of it is, uh, okay, this is this is Paul's chart here. And you can see that he's born at a total lunar eclipse, virtually like at the moment of a total lunar eclipse, according to the birth time we have. Um, royal births were generally really, really well documented, even in the 18th century. So they tend to be among the more solid horoscopes that we have on hand uh, yeah, for this let me, period. This, this let me period explain it history. for the audio listeners, the sun is at eight degrees and five minutes of Libra, and it's very close to conjunct the node, the north node at eight degrees and 34 minutes of Libra. And the moon is exactly opposite that at eight degrees and one minute of Aries. So it's just like, not only is he born at the exact lunation, essentially the exact opposition between the moon and the sun, but also um, it's very closely conjunct the nodes at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very, very tight. Now, the thing you need to know about Paul is that um, his father, 
was murdered in a military coup that was led by his mother. His mother became Catherine the Great because his because her husband, his father, was overthrown and murdered in a coup. And so Paul grew up uh, um, somewhat um, bitter towards his mother. And um, uh, and when when she died and he took control, he really uh, he was only in power for four years because, like his father, <clears throat> excuse me, like his father, he would be assassinated. Um, also like his grandson and his great, great grandson. Um, so, um, on March 24th, um, 1801, um, soldiers broke into his bedroom and, uh, and strangled him to death. And this was 10 days following a solar eclipse at 23 Pisces and just six days before a total lunar eclipse at nine Libra, which is the exact re reverse of the eclipse he was born under. Remember that his, his parents were married when his nodes were reversed. And then he he's murdered at like at, at the sort of like a mirror image eclipse of when he was born, which is really, really startling. Wow. That's incredible. Um, Right, right. And it's sort of I, the, the one other thing I'll just say about Paul uh, uh, it, it, uh, on this point is that when he became czar, because he hated his mother so much, there had been a few women who had led Russia before, even before Catherine the Great. Uh, Russia had uh, three or four women czarinas uh, before Paul, but because he hated his mother, he um, declared on his coronation that no woman could rule Russia ever again that it would only be male heirs from then on. And this becomes a, a really interesting point about a century later, but I'll, I'll come to that in a bit. I'm just going to put that there in the story. Let me now, mention something another... real quick about yeah. his chart, just, you know, cause that's a, obviously a negative example. And just looking at the chart, it's like, we have his son is at eight degrees of Libra, his moon is at eight degrees of Aries. And both of those are like pretty closely square Saturn, which is at 11 degrees of Capricorn. And mm. the sun is conjunct his Mars in a day chart, which is at 16 degrees of Libra. So it's like the malefics are very closely configured with that lunation, that eclipse in his chart. And then interestingly, both of the um, benefics are actually an aversion to it because Jupiter is in Virgo. Um, so it's not able to make a major aspect to the sun or the moon and Venus is in Scorpio. So it's also not able to make a major aspect of the sun or the moon. Maybe that's like part of the reason in terms of understanding why it ended up being something where he came to a pretty negative end, like on an eclipse subsequently. Yeah, exactly. And and how, I mean, literally his parents, I mean, think about it, you know, if, if your mom has your dad killed in a military coup, I mean, that's that's a startling chart just to sort of explain that part of your, your life story, if you will. Um, so it's all very striking. Mm -hmm. um, now, the, the interesting thing is um, Paul was just uh, five weeks younger than King Louis XVI of France. Uh, and yes, I mean that King Louis XVI, the one who will be guillotined in the French Revolution. So um, King Louis was born August 23rd, 1754 at 6.45 a.m. in Versailles. And like Paul's parents, this is the weirdest thing, just like Paul's parents, in this case, it's Louis himself, Louis and his wife, Marie Antoinette. I'm sure your listeners have all heard of Marie Antoinette. So Louis and his wife, they're married as teenagers. They're like 14, 15 when they're married. Uh, but they, they also took a really long time. They took, I think, like eight or nine years before conceiving a child. And in their case, when they did conceive a child, uh, it was a daughter. And so they had to wait yet, you know, yet another three years before she delivered a boy and they finally had an heir to the throne. Um, so this was a, the, the, the same kind of thing happened here that happened in Russia is because you had 
uh, uh, the royal couple not delivering an heir, the court gets really sort of destabilized and, and conspiracies start to uh, bubble up. And while neither of these is the sole reason for their, their relative demises, it certainly contributed to sort of the general ill feeling, the sense that, you know, the monarch is, is, is weak uh, um, or that the empress is, is barren. <clears throat> So that was that was also just, you know, a, a really striking thing. In this case, it was uh, Louis apparently had some kind of uh, physical impairment that was fixed with a surgery. Uh, but yeah, in the in the intervening eight years, um, the, the Louis and Marie Antoinette were similarly blamed for not having a child. Um, and now, uh, as I mentioned, Louis XVI is eventually guillotined uh, during the French Revolution on uh, the 21st of January, 1793 at 10.22 a.m. Uh, rather in Paris. Now, Louis wasn't born during an eclipse. He's born five weeks before Paul. Uh, but when he's guillotined, Louis's secondary progress chart is just eight months away from that same total uh, lunar eclipse that Tsar Paul was born under on October 1st of 1754. So his progress chart moves right like very, very close to that eclipse when he's executed. And then it's mm -hmm. eight months later when, when that, you know, even though he's dead, eight months later when that progress chart comes to a perfect perfect uh, lunar eclipse. That's when the reign of terror begins. That's when the French Revolution, I mean, sure, he had been guillotined, but this is the period when virtually everyone gets guillotined. Uh, and his wife, Marie Antoinette, is guillotined in, in October of 1793, not long after that uh, eight-month explosion. So yeah, it's very interesting uh, you know, the, these these different things, first of all, that that um, both uh, Tsar Paul and King Louis are are executed. Uh, they're born five weeks apart. So there's that's interesting in itself. Um, and also just these, this sort of side story where uh, in the case of Paul's parents and then the case of Louis himself, that that uh, you have this royal couple who can't conceive a child. And it really stirs the sort of the, the early the early rumblings that are going to lead to their eventual overthrow. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, like I was saying, most of the Romanov czars were born close to eclipses. Uh, one notable exception, though, is the last czar, Nicholas II. He was born with the sun opposite Saturn squaring the nodes. He's he's like he's born very, very close to the bendings, what we call the bendings. And uh, he had an exact Mercury-Saturn opposition uh, square the nodes. Um, so he was born May 18th, 1868 at 2.30 p.m. in Sarskoye Silo, which is a, a, a village, a royal village uh, just south of St. Petersburg. And... Um, and while he wasn't born during an eclipse, it was his wife, the Tsarina Alexandra. She was born during a solar eclipse. Um, she was born on the 6th of June, 1872 at 3.45 a.m. in Darmstadt, Germany. Now, she like she was the granddaughter of Queen, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Queen Victoria. And like Queen Victoria, they both were Gemini sun, Gemini moon, and Gemini rising. But Alexandra was even born during this eclipse. And she winds up being, if anything, a bit more of the, 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 the reason behind the, the the eventual overthrow of of um, the Romanov dynasty, even more than her husband. So I just want to run through some of the previous czars, and I'll, I'll get into the the to, to the story of Nicholas and Alexandra. So I, I I meant oh, wait. Yes. So we're so we're gonna. Do you want me to pull up her chart now, or you're gonna come back to why I'm, she's? I'm gonna. 
Yeah, I'll come back to her. I'll okay. come back to her and, and then we'll put this up. Um, so first of all, I, going back to Tsar Paul, his father, Peter III, the one, the, the one who was assassinated by Catherine the Great, he was born the 21st of February, 1728 in Kiev, And that was four days prior to a lunar eclipse at five Virgo and 17 days prior to a solar eclipse at 20 Pisces. So certainly that first one falls within the seven day uh, window that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, then, his, then of course, his son, Paul I, I've already covered. Paul had two sons who became czars. The first one is Alexander I, uh, the one who would fight Napoleon. He was born, the one who was actually behind the coup that overthrew his father, incidentally. Uh, so uh, not, you, not to, did you mean to mention that Peter the Third was murdered in a coup? He was murdered in a coup, like I mentioned earlier, okay. uh, um, involving Catherine the Great. That's how Catherine ascended to the throne. And then when Paul is murdered, um, it's it's done by military officers who somewhat are somewhat in cahoots with Alexander the first or the 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 son who will become Alexander the first. I think he believed that they would just arrest him and not murder him, but I think he was kidding himself. Anyway, Alexander the first, the czar who would fight Napoleon, he was born December twenty third, seventeen seventy seven, at ten forty five a.m. in Saint Petersburg. He was born nine days after a lunar eclipse at twenty three Gemini and seven days prior to a solar eclipse at eight Capricorn. Um, he's the guy, you know, famously he had a Capricorn son. And when Saturn was conjunct his son in Capricorn in 1812, he burned down Moscow just to like take it away from Napoleon, which is interesting. Oh, were you okay. going to put up the chart or what, what you're putting? I'm up just putting notes? up the notes. Cause I feel like it oh, may be okay. hard, hard for people to follow. We've gone through like Peter the third was born right. just okay. prior to an eclipse. Paul the first was born on an eclipse. Now Alexander the first was born nine days after a lunar eclipse and seven days prior to a solar eclipse. So it's just like eclipse, eclipse, eclipse on each of these births. That's right. And then his younger brother who's Exceeds him, Nicholas I, born the 6th of July, 1796. Uh, he's born six, 16 days after a lunar eclipse and one day following a total solar eclipse at 13 Cancer. Um, Alexander I and Nicholas I have the distinction of, of being born during eclipses, but not having been murdered. Uh, but then Nicholas I's son, the next czar, Alexander II, who's born on April 29th, 1818, uh, eight days following a lunar eclipse and seven days prior to a solar eclipse at 14 Taurus. He's murdered by revolutionaries in a bomb attack. And he's the grandfather of Nicholas II. Uh, now, there is there is Alexander III, the only czar born in the 19th century uh, who was not born during an eclipse. I don't have him in that list, but he became czar just because his, his brother died. Um, and then we get to Nicholas II, who, like I said, is born at the Bendings, and it's his wife who is the eclipse chart. And um, she, uh, interestingly enough, we get back to this story. <clears throat> um, it's slightly different than the earlier one, but it's kind of similar. It has the same result where um, uh, she and the czar, uh, she and Nicholas get married uh, just after his father dies. So there's already kind of like some some Russians think that she she got married like right on the tail of 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 her, her you know uh, fiance becoming czar. Um, and they have four daughters. And remember that Paul made it a law that that women could not, you know, rule Russia anymore. So they have four daughters who are perfectly healthy and well-educated and, and diplomatic and play their roles well. And any of the four would have made a fine, you know, uh, empress of Russia. But they have to have a son. And they finally do have a son. Um, but by this point, the Russian court is getting really anxious about the fact that they haven't had a son. And when they finally have one, they soon discover that he's a hemophiliac. 
and they have to keep this a secret from Russian society and even from their own family. And this this opens up this whole Rasputin story. Who's who's helping them with their their son? And and this is a not the only reason, but a big part of what leads to their eventual downfall in the Bolshevik Revolution. Amidst, of course, the First World War happening, which has nothing to do with their hemophiliac son. But when you combine all that together, that's how they eventually find themselves, um, you know, murdered in a basement and seeing their their uh, dynasty end. Um, so in this case, yeah, in this case, it's Alexandra who is the the eclipse birth, and you can really see how she's she tends to be the you know more the target of the the revolution than than even her husband was. Why I don't? Um, because she's she's born German, <laughs> and they're at war with Germany, and hmm. and because the public doesn't understand why Rasputin. This is the thing: the public sees Rasputin as this just sort of weird shaman guy who came from beyond the Urals. They don't understand why the royal family has brought him into their home. It's because he seems to have this hypnotic effect on the boy who's a hemophiliac. That he seems to be able to stop the bleeding that this uh, that the the heir suffers from. Okay. Um, so no one knows this. So they just think that she's a, a German spy who's conspiring with this this madman and that they're the reason that you know Russia is losing the war. Um, so yeah, it's it's all a tragic misunderstanding. And and the funniest thing is, I mean, Nicholas II was czar. Theoretically, he could have just like changed the law and said women can be czarina again, but he was too conservative to do something like that. But it's almost like a a, 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 a giant plot hole in a terrible sitcom. The fact that like he had access to a very simple solution to all this and uh, uh, being reluctant to use it, it, it led to this terrible downfall that got his whole family murdered. So, and let me share her chart really quickly. Yeah. So this is uh, Zarina Alexandra's chart, and she has the sun at 15 degrees of Gemini and the moon at 15 Gemini. So it's an exact conjunction and the node is at 12 Gemini. So this is very close to solar eclipse happening like when she's born. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And she really, she really is, you know, also just behind the scenes. She just tends to be the dominant partner in the marriage, even though her husband is is the Tsar of Russia. She tends to be the one sort of telling him what to do. And and by by the time of the war, she's telling him what what prime ministers to to hire and fire and stuff. So she really is super involved. Uh, um, and this just yeah compounds to the the sort of the enmity um, held towards her. So, and then for those not familiar with Russian history, what happens at this point is there's a, a revolution, and this they become this becomes the end of the Russian line of of the monarchy and of of kings and queens. That's correct. Yeah, from here on, there's a revolution. Uh, first, the the czar is forced to abdicate, and there's a provisional government. That's when the, the actually the same flag that was raised on Christmas Day, 1991, is first introduced in the spring of 1917. But then, by the end of 1917, there's a second revolution, and that's where the Bolsheviks take over, and that's where Russia becomes the the Soviet Union ultimately, the the communist uh, um, you know uh, country that we know uh, through most of the 20th century. Got it. Okay. So yeah. You know, this is really interesting and cool because this establishes that it's not just like the British monarchy uh, that has these eclipse signatures that echo throughout their different generations and the different kings, uh, but also it's happening in the Russian monarchy as well, which is super interesting, which again, I think yeah. underlines the point that this is like 
us seeing astrology working in action. This is like evidence of astrology working for prominent and powerful people, um, not necessarily of them like, you know, planning all of this out or something like that, but that these threads yeah. of eclipses and royalty like runs throughout history. Um, but also it's interesting that even though the Russian monarchy died out at this point with um Alexandra, um, we see the eclipse signature be revived later on in terms of important events when we see that eclipse that happened in 1991 at the end of the Soviet Union and the the sure. rise of the current Russian Federation. And then we see, you know, Vladimir Putin rising to power on an eclipse in 1999. So it's like these signatures continue running through history. Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest irony I think about Russian history is you you had these three very distinct political entities the 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 Romanov dynasty the Soviet Union and now that the current uh, uh, republic um, and they're they're all sort of supposedly so distinct from each other in in um, ideology and presentation and 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 in how they're they're organized and yet there really is this fundamental sort of sameness. Uh, uh, to them all, uh, that that it just goes to show that you know no matter how much kind of revolutionary change you introduce to to you know rhetorically and uh, uh, practically into a, a governing body, uh, that the power of culture and tradition and and you know I guess we call it nationalism really sort of holds sway through all that change, all that revolution, uh, where you really do ultimately have the same country all the way through. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, so that's super interesting. So that's Russian history. There's a whole lot more that we could go into. Um, I was just going to mention when I was looking up Louis the Sixteenth, just to go to your point, like you know, just as I found a lot of Russian czars with eclipse born during eclipses, I did just offhandedly when I did a search in my French uh, my file for France, uh, notice that a lot of the French kings also were born close to eclipses. I didn't put in a whole sort of you know uh, another chronology to talk about, but just to, to your point about about royals, yeah, it's not just the the British crown; it was the French crown when it existed, and it's it was the Russian crown when it existed, right. Um, that's what's so interesting. So I want to move outside of Europe at this point. I want to move into other yeah. areas of the world. Um, one of the ones that I found recently actually um, was I was looking to Chinese history and found that um, the founding of the current Chinese government and state happened on an eclipse um, back in 1949. So um, the People's Republic of China was formally proclaimed by Mao Zedong, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, on October 1st, 1949 in Beijing. And this was right before a lunar eclipse took place uh, just days later on October 7th in the sign of Aries. So I thought that was super interesting seeing um, that. Here's the chart for that, where we see the sun is in Libra. The at seven degrees of Libra, the north, the south node is at 16 Libra. The moon is either in late Capricorn or early Aquarius. And so it's heading towards that lunation, which will be a, a lunar eclipse in the sign of Aries just days later. Right. Um, so there we go. And, one. And that's the same month that Benjamin Netanyahu is born, of course. And we, we already talked about that same eclipse in his context. So, yeah, just to sort of make the connections in time. Um, yeah, uh, and and there were a number of things that that followed in in uh, uh, you know in the People's Republic of China in their history that also occurred during eclipses. Uh, the the 
um, there was the, the the first posters that introduced the Cultural Revolution in 1966. Uh, they got into a little border conflict with the Soviet Union in March of 1969, close to an eclipse. Um, and also that the famous sort of uh, opening up of uh, diplomatic relations, like R Richard Nixon first meeting with Mao Zedong in China in February of 72, happened close to an eclipse. Um, so yeah, um, you know, uh, overall it's sort of, you, you can follow a lot of their, um, their, their history since, and even before, uh, um, close to eclipses. Yeah. And, and Chinese history is so old and rich that I'd love to delve into that more deeply at some point. And I'm sure people that have more of a background in Chinese history could probably tell us of some other major like historical, um, touchstones or major, rulers or or who um, either were born on eclipses or were important events in Chinese history happened on eclipses. Um, we'll leave it there for now, but that's definitely one yeah. I'd like to research further. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm very interested in that for that exact reason. You have a culture that's been keeping, you know, calendar documented history for, for thousands of years. So it's it's a real, uh, a real gift for astrologers, anyone who who can um, you know learn all that history and and uh, disseminate all the astrology involved? Thousand years of it, I, I'm sure will will be um, really valuable to to future studies. I'm doing my best there, but uh, um, you know uh, it'll take an expert, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, with all of these, um, there's different ones that we specialize in more or less. We tended to focus on the histories that we had more familiarity with in the last episode, whereas this one, we're delving into ones that are more outside of our specialty ranges so far. You know, like I've specialized in ancient um, Greco-Roman history from the Hellenistic period due to my focus on Hellenistic astrology and some modern Western stuff or just things that I learned in school. Um, that I focused on in the last episode because I wanted to, to connect with, you know, what are some of the major things that just like a normal English speaker, especially like an American learns in grade school, like, you know, Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus and the fact that that coincided with an eclipse or um, other things like that in that last episode. But here we're looking to other areas. Um, yeah. So let's move on to other countries because sure. there yeah. were some other good ones that were sent in by other listeners. So one of them is uh, Mexico, where on Instagram, one was sent in in a comment by uh, Jimin on Earth um, on Instagram, where they pointed out that the current president of Mexico, Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, was elected to represent Mexico City a day after a lunar eclipse. So he was elected July 2nd, 2020 or sorry, July 2nd, 2000, almost 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And then a solar eclipse had just taken place in Cancer on July 1st. And then interestingly, 18 years later, he was elected president just a few days before an eclipse, being elected um, July 1st of 2018. And then an eclipse happened on July 12th, 2018 in the sign of Cancer. Um, so that's a really interesting one in terms of recent um, Mexican history and politics. Mm, indeed. Indeed, indeed. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch more there in terms of that history as well. So if, if anybody um, that specializes in more, please send those in if you find any. Um, next, moving on to Brazil, a listener named Ana Fialho sent in one. Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to actually just read out her their comment. Um, they said, in Brazil, women were first allowed to vote 11 days before a solar eclipse in Pisces. The law was passed on February 24th, 1932, and the solar eclipse was on March 7th. 
Um, then they point out there was a lunar eclipse in Libra on March 22nd. So that was interesting in terms of a parallel with uh, the one we explored in U.S. history of women giving yes. the right to vote on eclipses earlier in the 20th century. And here they're pointing out, um, Anna, Anna's pointing out that there was a parallel in Brazilian history. Um, elsewhere, yeah. go ahead. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I also, I, I sort of took that as a jumping off point from Anna. Uh, and I looked into my Brazilian file. Um, the president of Brazil at the time, when when women were granted the vote, um, a name, a man named Getulio Vargas. Uh, he was in power when women were given the vote, and he was born on uh, April nineteenth, eighteen eighty-three, at eleven forty-three p.m. in Sao Borja, Brazil. And it was three days before a lunar eclipse in Scorpio, and seventeen days prior to a total solar eclipse at fifteen Taurus. Um, so he was born during an eclipse, and furthermore, he was appointed to the presidency. Um, I think there was like an uprising and, and he wound up sort of getting the seat. And this was November 3rd, 1930 in Rio, uh, 27 days following a lunar eclipse and 14 days following a total solar eclipse at 27 Libra. So he, he became president a little bit after uh, out of the range of the that, that we're using, but he was born very close to an eclipse and the whole sort of uprising that led to him being appointed uh, to the presidency certainly took place during that eclipse period in 1930. So it's funny uh, in terms of it sort of getting to that point where women were granted the vote, you can even see how the uh, the person in power and their path to power also coincided with eclipses. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thanks to Anna for sending that in and starting us on that research track. That's a really great one for Brazil. Um, in India, so let's move on to a different country um, a longtime listener and patron of the podcast, um, an often helpful researcher um, who contributes stuff, pointed out a couple of things or a few things about India. And this is from Vandana Gayan, who said that India's current prime minister, Narendra Modi, was born on the 17th of September, 1950, just five days after a total solar eclipse on the 12th of September, 1950, in the sign of Virgo. So that's really interesting in terms of the current prime minister. And then Going back in time, Vandana also pointed out that India's first female prime minister, Indra Gandhi, was assassinated on the 31st of October 1984, just a week before a lunar eclipse on the 7th of November 1984 in Taurus. Um, so this event, they said, led to massive unrest within the Sikh community in India. Um, so that one, of course, is familiar to us because that's like the day before I was born when that assassination yes. took place. So that lunar eclipse that Vendana is pointing to is the one that took place just after I was born and coincided with that, that assassination. Um, yeah. And, and, and prior to that, I, I, I did have in my database, I, I I remembered that it was close to uh, an eclipse, um, but but what precipitated that assassination? See, Indira Gandhi was murdered by her Sikh bodyguards, and what had happened is, uh, a few months earlier, on June fourth, nineteen eighty four, um, the the Indian army um, um, attacked uh, um, the the Sikh Golden Temple in Amritsar. Uh, they were hoping to arrest this particular Sikh um, um, separatist figure, but uh, you know innocent people wound up getting killed, and of course just the the very act of having the, the Indian army, uh, you know, largely uh, Hindu so soldiers, presumably uh, invading this this uh, very important temple in, in Sikh uh, culture and the Sikh religion uh, was itself just, a, you know, a, 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 an innocent, uh, a, 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 you know, a travesty to them. Um, so this this when they when they when the army went into the temple, this was just five days after a solar eclipse and nine days prior to a lunar eclipse. 
in Gemini and Sagittarius, respectively. So that so like by the time she's assassinated a few months later, close to the next set of eclipses, this was really all brought about by this act that that uh, you know blew up at the the previous uh, pair of eclipses around the time of the previous pair of eclipses. Wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. And then furthermore, I mean, just, you know, this was a really rough year for India. And this goes to our point that um, um, the eclipses at this point, that the ones that I looked at, the paths didn't go anywhere really near India, but uh, India really seemed to be singled out. Because just about a month after Indira Gandhi's murder, there was this terrible tragedy. Um, the, the Union Carbide uh, chemical plant in Bhopal, India, uh, there was a poisonous gas leak that killed uh, so many of the, the citizens of this place, a very, very poor area of India, sort of in the middle of the country. Uh, and this was a, a huge tragedy. And this was nine days following uh, that same uh, total solar eclipse at zero Sagittarius that, that followed Indira Gandhi's murder and your birth. Wow, that's amazing. I remember watching a documentary about that at one point with Lisa and yeah. how it was like covered up or something, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you can just imagine this huge multinational company versus, I mean, just the poorest of the poorest people. Um, so, you know, uh, you know how those things tend to play out. Um, yeah, um, yeah, it's worth it's worth uh, anyone uh, watching. There's a, there's a few good documentaries on, on it. It's a, it's a well-known case. But yeah, at the time, they were definitely trying to minimize the, the damage, damage controls, they call it. So that's a really interesting, uh, well, uh, one that's really heartbreaking, like, having a disaster like that and having so many people killed um, is really messed up. And it, it's interesting. That's almost like a parallel with like the Chernobyl disaster that we talked about in the last episode. And sometimes how you have these freak accidents or things that happen um, on eclipses like Chernobyl or um, Titanic was, was another disaster that happened that we talked about in the last episode. So this, this one goes along with that pretty well. Yeah, and the Bhopal thing was only just a little more than a year before uh, uh, Chernobyl, so it really was the the era. You know, uh, Bhopal was was in December of eighty four, and and Chernobyl was April of eighty six. So it's it's like a year and four months between them. Wasn't in the same signs, right? It was like different. Probably it shifted by that point. Um, yeah, uh, we can pull up. I I don't remember Chernobyl off the top of my head, but we can pull it up. But it can't be that far apart because it's only just a little over a year apart. Yeah, well, let's skip it for now so we can get to the rest in the time that we yeah. have left. But um, one of the things Austin meant to suggested to us at some point to research is also which eclipses are taking place like conjunct the North Node and which ones are taking place conjunct the South Node. And that's an area that we haven't really focused on as an additional like layer or filter that we could apply at some point to see if there's differences in eclipses. But that's one avenue of research that, that could be worth looking into um, in the future. Mm-hmm. So to round out this section, if you're good. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So one of the things I want to say, obviously, um, you know, we're getting into history and territory and different cultural things that are in some instances new to us or are out of our depth of expertise. So we're always open to corrections. Um, if somebody wants to point out something, if we made a mistake or if there's a different interpretation or understanding of something, let us know for sure. Um, we're doing our best here because we're trying to be astrologers and like research these things. But sometimes, you know, something I've always tried to do over the years is like not speak on things that I don't have as much familiarity with where I can't speak authoritatively. I tend to, I've tried to learn and cultivate like when to be quiet when you you know, are not in a place to really know what you're talking about. 
And so sometimes I get nervous going into different topics or some of the topics we've talked about in this episode because of that. But, you know, we're doing our best with this research. So um, please keep that in mind. And just like if you have, you know, critiques or criticisms, um, try to put them somewhat respectfully since we're doing our best. And I'm sure um, any critiques are coming from a good place as well. Um, yeah. But other than that, I'm sure there's tons of histories and other things that we haven't gotten to or that we've overlooked in different countries and we'd love to hear more. So I'm putting out a, you know, a genuine call where a lot of these came from listeners. And so we've been able to compile this and create a much larger body of research in this second episode as a result and start some new threads. But I'm sure there's lots more to be found. So I'm looking forward to listeners, you know, joining us and playing an active role in helping to participate in this research by doing their own research in their own areas of specialty and letting us know what you find. All right. Sound good? Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. So um, I wanted to do a brief um, section on technology since that was kind of one of the things we touched on a little bit in the last episode, and we got a few new ones in that area. The first one was actually sent in, was noticed again by Vandana Gayan, sent this one in and pointed out that Google was actually founded on an eclipse on mm. September 4th, 1998. And then there was a lunar eclipse just two days later in Pisces on September 6th. So I thought that one was really cool because it's a nice kind of continuation of, of the communications eclipses that we were seeing in the last episode in the Virgo-Pisces axis, where we saw one eclipse take place on the day that Alexander Graham Bell made the first telephone call. And that eclipse, I think, was in Virgo. Um, then we saw another eclipse take place um, in the early 1990s when Tim Berners-Lee made the proposal for what would become the World Wide Web. And I think that was another eclipse that was either in, I think it was in Pisces that time. And now here we see a continuation of that in terms of commu communications and the internet and things like that with another eclipse here at the founding of Google with a lunar eclipse in Pisces. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, also, to to round out something that happened in the past month, connected with one of our examples last time, as we pointed out how eclipses um, over the past several years have been coinciding with, for example, like the um, the creation of the first website for Bitcoin was very close to an eclipse, and then we noticed that um, there have been many events over the past year or two that we documented in the last episode about Bitcoin and the rise and fall of it that have coincided with eclipses. And one of them was that a year ago that the FTX scandal happened on a Taurus eclipse last November of 2022. Well, just in the past week, um, the founder of FTX, who was at the center of that scandal with Bitcoin and caused that huge financial crisis, was just um, convicted um, in a court after a, a, a legal case, basically, um, and will be sentenced to prison as a result of that. So that happened very close to the, the next Taurus eclipse that just took place over the past week, which kind of rounds out that story and that sequence of eclipses that were connected with that. Yep. So that's pretty cool. And then one other is, um, this was also sent in by a listener, but shout out to Visual Astrology on YouTube, who in a comment pointed out, I, I think they pointed out the second part, but the first part is that Edward Snowden was actually born very close to a lunar eclipse. He was born June 21st, 1983, and there was a lunar eclipse days later on June 25th in Capricorn. 
Um, and he was the um, whistleblower who basically was working for the United States, like the NSA, and who flew to Hong Kong and then eventually to Russia and disclosed to reporters that the US was um, basically like spying on international communications around the world through the internet um, way back in 2013. And interestingly, what this commenter, Visual Astrology on YouTube pointed out was that he actually flew to Hong Kong and started the disclosures um, around the time of eclipses in 2013. So he flew to Hong Kong on May 20th, 2013. Then there was a lunar eclipse on May 25th in Sagittarius. And then he met reporters shortly after that. And the first story related to the Snowden disclosures was published on June 5th. And then it became this huge like media, worldwide media sensation. And there's a lot of discussion about it. Um, if anybody remembers that about 10 years ago now. Yeah, and he's still there, if you can imagine, being in Russia now. Yeah, um, so that was a big deal and was important in terms of the technology thing. And um, yeah, I thought it was good to to round yeah. out that, that segment. Absolutely. So um, one other segment that another listener pointed out was sports. So we didn't do a lot with sports, I don't think, in the last episode, did we? No, no, I, I'm... I do some research in sports, but not a lot. Usually, just boxing and ice hockey. Um, so um, this this was all very interesting to me. Yeah. So one list, listener pointed out the, and I'd remembered, I forgot about this, but I remember seeing it at the time because it was much commented on the news. But back in two thousand four, um, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series in a baseball game the same night as a lunar eclipse in Taurus, um, and this was the first eclipse to ever take place during a World Series baseball game. Um, and it was actually visible from the stadium. So they actually watched as the game was happening. So this was the Red Sox's first win of a World Series in 86 years, which ended um, what like sort of legend that had developed at that point that was called the Curse of the Bambino that was named after Babe Ruth, who was a famous baseball player who played for the Red Sox and the Red Sox were one of the most successful uh, professional baseball franchises up to that point. But then he was sold or, or traded to the New York Yankees in 1920. And from that point forward, the Red Sox didn't win any World Series games for the next like 80 something years until this lunar eclipse took place in 2004 in Taurus and suddenly they won this game and it was kind of a notable spectacle and like news and media sensation at the time. Yep. I don't follow baseball and even I remember it. Yeah. I remember it because yeah. that was an important eclipse because I was getting ready to move to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that was the one that happened in my fourth house. And it was one of the ones that pushed me into entertaining whole sign houses more than I did because I realized that I was like relocating on this very visible and important um, eclipse that was taking place, um, you know, at that time in my fourth house. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, it was right around that same eclipse that I was uh, moving to Cumberland. Uh, yeah, predating your move there. So um, it was big for me too. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to find the name really quickly of the commenter who pointed that out, but I'm actually having trouble finding it. So I apologize to the, um, we were throwing all these in like document as they were coming in 
And then I went back and tried to find some names. But if he wanted to, I wanted to give him a shout out to him. But if he wants to leave a comment on this episode to let us know that he was the one that pointed out, that out, I'll give you a personal thank you. Yes. Um, shout out in the meantime to say, sorry, we haven't shouted you out. For sure. Yeah. All right. Um, very last section in this episode, I want to do a brief section on writers. Uh, I want to start first. This is by a commenter. I think they sent this in. Somebody said this on TikTok. There was a couple different people that pointed it out. But um, Stephanie Meyer, who is the writer of the Twilight and Eclipse books, um, actually, it turns out, was born the day of a solar eclipse in Capricorn, which is pretty interesting. Um, I know that's your favorite series, uh, Twilight. Oh, yeah. Nick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the big, sparkly vampires. Sparkly exactly. Vampires. Yeah, yeah. Big, big Twilight fan. Um, <laughs> but speaking of great writers, or more seriously, you actually have one um, that you research that turns out to be a very compelling example. And this is going to be our final example, I think, of this episode, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think someone just mentioned Mark Twain. And so I, I had a pretty uh, substantial Mark Twain chart file in my database. So I, I decided to look up eclipses in his life. And it was uh, quite the revelation. Um, it doesn't have that much to do with his writing career. Uh, it has more to do with his family and, and uh, births and deaths in his family. Um, I can run you through the, the the various people and events, but the long the the TLDR of all this is not only was Mark Twain himself born and and would he die close to uh, eclipses? He's famously born and died close to the passing of Halley's Comet. But aside from that, he was also born and died very close to eclipses. But his wife was also born close to an eclipse, and they were married close to eclipse. Uh, Mark Twain's mother died close to an eclipse, and his father died close to eclipse. And um, he had he and his wife, as I said, they were married during eclipse. They were both born during eclipses. They had four children, and three of his kids uh, died prior to his death. Like he saw three of his uh, four children die, and all three of them died during eclipses. The only one of his children who did not die during an eclipse was his daughter Clara, who lived until 1962. Uh, long after him, the only one who, who survived him. Um, and then there were other things. He was uh, he received an honorary degree at Oxford Uni University alongside Rudyard Kipling and the, and Auguste Rodin, the, the sculptor, uh, close to an eclipse. So there were some there were some good things, but it's mostly like these really sort of tragic things. Uh, the loss of oh, also he went he went bankrupt. Uh, close to an eclipse in 1894. Uh, Mark Twain, um, it, it's really funny. He 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 made a lot of money, but he invested it in um, this printing press that was supposed to be this like sort of newfangled technology. Uh, he went bankrupt for investing in this. But in the meantime, he had a telephone in his house and didn't think the telephone was a worthy object to invest in. And so um, yeah, he he lost all his money. He had to go on a big speaking tour. But anyway, I'll just I'll take you through these events just to sort of fill out the 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 you know what I what I just presented there. Let so, me show uh, this chart real quick. Just yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. So here, actually, one thing first before that. So I just looked up and found the name of the Red Sox commenter, and this is a okay. listener and patron of the podcast. So shout out to Jeff Desverney who sent in the comment about the Red Sox. All right, um, back to Mark. All right, Twain. cool. Try to I try to yeah. try to cite my sources as much as I can. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. All right, so here, here's that was a good Twain. one. That's definitely one. That's definitely one we went to found. Like I do study the other countries' histories, but I don't study much baseball. So that was a really great one. Yeah. yeah, well, and I'm sure there's actually tons of other sports ones. So somebody that is more like follows sports. I'm not like a big sports guy, but I'm sure there's yeah. a ton of different um, sports threads that would be interesting to study for eclipses. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We need more sports astrology. Uh, I'm not much of a sports fan myself, so I'm not the one, but someone needs to do it. Sure. All right. So um, Mark Twain. Um, so here's his chart. This time. <clears throat> What's our situation with the time on Twain? Um, yeah, it's it's just ambiguous because we don't know what source it comes from. It was it was published in a couple of astrology magazines back in the day. I mean, fairly reputable reputable magazines, but we just don't know what the source is. So it's just sort of up in the air. Okay, um, so don't don't rely on this time. But what no. we do have is a chart where the sun is is going to be firmly at about seven degrees of Sagittarius, and it's pretty close to the south node, which is at twenty nine degrees of Scorpio, and his moon is somewhere in the middle of Aries. So he was actually born in between two eclipses, where he was born November thirtieth of eighteen thirty five. There was a solar eclipse ten days before he was born on November twentieth in Scorpio, and then there was a lunar eclipse a few days after he was born on December fourth um, at twelve degrees of Gemini. Yeah, just four days after. And that lunar eclipse is opposite as Mars, which may or may not be sort of worth noting, but it just mm. catches my eye right now. Okay. Um, yeah, so he's born He's born very close to an eclipse. And then are you going to put charts up for all the examples I'm, I'm about to present here? Because there are a lot of them, I, I realize. No, I think it would take too long, but I could okay. put up the outline if you want. Yeah, maybe put up the outline because I think like the Russian czars, it's such a long laundry list. Uh, right. uh, that it might be overwhelming without a without a um, visual presentation. So, so you he can see he was born on eclipses, and he was also born at like Halley's Comet. Could you for yeah. the people like not familiar with that? Yeah, that's that's just sort of a famous part of his legend that he was born very you know that the 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 Halley's Comet passes by Earth. I think it's every seventy five years, um, or seventy four or seventy five years. Um, he would die at about seventy four and a half. Um, so when he was born, Halley's Comet was passing by Earth, and uh, not too long before he died. Uh, he basically, he made a statement like, well, I was born close to the passing of Halley's Comet. No doubt I will die at its passing too. And that, that is what happened. So it's like he he predicted his own death. Now, mind you, he was an old guy. And, you know, the, the, the older you are, the easier it is to, to pinpoint predict when you're going to leave. Uh, but nonetheless, it was, it's just, it's part of that sort of, you know, his legend. Um, sure. And, 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 and that's for, actually... And for people not familiar with American history, Mark Twain is basically one of the most famous... American writers of all time, I think at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly of the 19th century. And he was a big celebrity. You know, that's the thing. He's not just a, like a lot of famous writers, you know, just the, their work lives on after they die and they might only become famous after they go or they're relatively uncelebrated. But he was a major international figure. You know, by the time uh, towards the end of his life, he's, he's having dinners with emperors. You know, he met Kaiser Wilhelm. He met, uh, uh, um, you know, just the, all the sort of European leaders and, and yeah, very, very, very celebrated and an important sort of voice uh, globally. And he, he did world tours. That's, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I just I wanted to come back to the idea, like when we're talking about Halley's Comet, um, uh, first of all, Mark Twain's real name is Samuel Clemens. Uh, and if we're not talking about him as an author, he's really, he's Sam Clemens. Uh, and, and most of this has to do more with Sam Clemens than it does Mark Twain. So um, Clemens' mother died of a liver ailment when he was, uh, um, I think, not quite four years old. Um, Margaret Clem Clemens died of a liver ailment on August 17th, 1839, seven days before a lunar eclipse at zero Pisces and um, 21 days before a solar eclipse at 14 Virgo. So it was, uh, um, you know, within that seven days before an eclipse began when she died. Now, the thing that happened, and this is interesting, is uh, he was, of course, he was just a little 
kid, but apparently he would walk in his sleep. And apparently as his mother was dying, he, he was walking in his sleep right past her bed and the family, and, and then she died and his family superstitiously uh, took this to suggest that he had mystical powers. And he had to deal with this sort of stigma for the rest of his life of people thinking that he was psychic or mystical or something of that nature. Like um, in a good way or that sounds well, kind of ominous. Of well, well, you know, I mean, right. if, if, if you, if you predict when people are going to die, it's just, it's creepy. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's creepy or people, you know, people yeah. who believe that are going to be creeped by it. Um, I just well, wasn't sure if the implication was that his family took it negatively or that he had a stigma or something associated with that, which would suck if that's what, how, how they took it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's quite that, but just, but I, I think it is still sort of, you know, fearful, <laughs> fearsome to them, you know uh, mm. um, yeah. You know, the, how severe it might've been, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, sure. Now the, the next up in the timeline is, as I mentioned, Twain's wife, Olivia, Olivia Langton Clemens uh, was also born close to an eclipse. She was born on the 27th of November, 1845 in Elmira, New York. And she was born 14 days after a lunar eclipse in, in Taurus. So she's a little bit outside our window, but very, very close. And, uh, just for an honorable mention. Um, Clemens' father died when he was uh, not quite 12 years old, 11 and a half. John Marshall Clemens died on March 24th, 1847, seven days before a lunar eclipse and 21 days before a total solar eclipse. So that does fall within the window. Um, yeah, maybe maybe you want to follow what I'm, what I'm saying with your tracer um, so it's easier. Uh, so yeah, that's the example I just talked about his father. So, so far we've got his mother dying, his wife being born, his father dying. Um, now on to, this is one of the few that actually has to do with his career. Um, Twain was not just an author. He was a great public speaker. He kind of invented or contributed to inventing stand-up comedy in the sense that he used to go into these theaters and just like, you know, give these lectures, but they were very funny stories. Every review you hear about his, his public speaking uh, appearances is that he just had the the audience in stitches you know um and and you know and this is this is victorian era it's not as easy to make audiences laugh they're a little more sort of upright uh so he gave the very first lecture uh of his career uh on the 2nd of october 1866 in san francisco and this was eight days after a total lunar eclipse and six days before a solar eclipse so right in the in the middle of that eclipse period um, and then about six months later, he goes back to Missouri, his home state, and he gives he does a little mini tour. Uh, he gives five talks uh, uh, in Missouri, starting on March 25th, 1867 uh, in St. Louis. And um, he, he gives the same talk he had given in San Francisco. But this really gets his public speaking career underway uh, to sort of supplement his his writing career and his writing income. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, these these lectures also occur just five days following a lunar eclipse. Right. So the next event is he gets married. Um, he marries, where, where's the, there we are. Um, so, um, Samuel Clemens marries Olivia Langton, February 2nd, 1870 in Elmira, New York. And that's just two days after a solar eclipse. So remember, both of them were born very, very close to eclipses. Uh, their first son uh, died of diphtheria when he was very young. He was only 18 months old, but he died very close to an eclipse on June 2nd, 1872. This is their only son. They would have four kids, one boy and three girls. Um, and so the boy dies very young at, at only 18 months. Um, and that is uh, three days prior to a, a solar eclipse at 15 Gemini and 11 days following a lunar eclipse. And can I say, backing up just the, the previous one, the fact that him 
and his wife were born on eclipses is really interesting because that's like a parallel with, for example, like Prince William and Kate Middleton yes. both being born on eclipses. That may be relevant in terms of sinistry and relationship astrology and other things like that, that yeah. that could be a potential indicator for for sinistry things. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't I don't think that I mean for Mark for Mark Twain slash Samuel Clements, these eclipses really do seem to have to do with that. But obviously they vary in outcomes from from you know uh, person to person. Um right. uh, but yeah, uh, you know, on top of Langdon Clemens dying, um uh, well, I'll get to them. I'm doing the list chronologically as opposed by topic. Maybe I should have done it by topic, but I'm just doing it chronologically. Uh, the next one is in 1894. Mark Twain loses all his investment money because he didn't invest in the telephone. He didn't see a, a worthwhile investment. Um, and so uh, on April 18th, 1894, the company that he's been investing in, they declare bankruptcy. And this lead, leads to him to losing most of his money. Uh, and this is just, thir it's 13 days following a solar eclipse. But again, it's 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 a little outside our window, but everything that's building up to him losing all that money has been occurring during the eclipse. So it's another one of the honorary mentions. Uh, finally, um, because he loses all, in, all his money, he has to go on an international speaking tour. And he goes with his wife and two of his daughters, but the third daughter stays home because she wants to study to be an, uh, an opera singer. This is Susie Clemens. So she stays back in Hartford, Connecticut, where they live, while he, his wife, and his other, other two daughters are in Europe. And they're doing this big world tour where he's uh, you know, giving these, these big lectures and, and dining with, with kings and emperors. And Susie Clemens uh, uh, gets a spinal men meningitis. She dies of spinal meningitis while he's away on this tour. And um, and I know this this occurred just five days prior to a lunar eclipse and nine days following a total solar eclipse at 17 Leo. And I know that this was like just devastating for Twain. The fact that he and his family were away when his daughter died was something that he could never sort of forgive himself for. And consequently, he was harder on himself for having lost all his money because it was that bankruptcy that that forced him to go on the tour to be away from home, and then his daughter died. So he sees huh. it as this terrible, tr yeah, chain of events uh, that really sort of haunts him. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Now we move into the last decade of his life. Um, Twain receives an honorary degree from Oxford University alongside Rudyard Kipling and Auguste Rodin on 26th of June, 1907 in Oxford, England. This is 14 days prior to a solar eclipse and 20, 29 days prior to a lunar eclipse in Aquarius. So this is a little outside our window, but this is um, this is a very important day for for Samuel Clemens slash Mark Twain, uh, one that he's you know wanted to happen all his life. He's wanted that kind of recognition. So it is pretty close and a worthy um, honorary mention. Um, finally, he moved into his uh, last home uh, the following year, June 18th of 1908 in Reading, Connecticut, four days following a lunar eclipse and 10 days prior to a solar eclipse at six cancer. Alas, unfortunately, the following year, uh, his third child to, to precede him to the grave, Jean Clemens, uh, who is his youngest daughter, she dies in that same house that they've just moved into the previous year. Um, I think she helped prepare the Christmas decorations, and then she went upstairs to take a bath, and she apparently had some kind of seizure in the bath, and uh, and they found her the next morning. Uh, so she probably died the evening of December 23rd, 1909 in Reading, but she was found the next morning. And this was 12 days following a solar eclipse and 27 days following a lunar eclipse. So again, a little bit outside our window, but very, very close, um, especially considering that this is his third child to die this close to an eclipse. Um, and finally, uh, you know, to, to end this long list, uh, almost as long as, as one of his books, uh, Mark Twain died on April 21st, 1910 at 6.22 p.m. in Reading, Connecticut. 
18 days prior to a total solar eclipse to a total solar eclipse and 33 days prior to a total lunar eclipse. So it's a little bit outside uh, uh, again, but very, very close. And uh, considering he was born under one and he died under one and his wife was born under one and he got married under one. Um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot to tie in here. Yeah, that some, is a lot. Some close but calls, that's... but some mostly hits. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, you know, for him personally, you know, some of the most important events basically in his life. And they not only bookend his life, the beginning and end of his life, like you said, in the same way that we have that parallel with like more recently, Matthew Perry, we talked about towards the beginning of the episode, but then many of these just hugely pivotal events in throughout his life coincided with eclipses. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it really seems to have followed him around. And again, like in my file, I do have the charts of like when he published Tom Sawyer, when he published Huckleberry Finn, you know, the things he's really famous for, those didn't happen during eclipses, but it really seems to be his family. And, and his family was very, very important to him. I mean, part of the reason he wrote as much as he did was to support this family. Um, so yeah, the, the, the fact that he kind of he felt that he he really um, you know screwed it up in the end by going bankrupt and and triggering the series of events that led to him um, losing Susie. So yeah, um, there's a, there's a lot of tragedy. We think of him as as you know a funny man and one who generally you know uh, brought sort of a certain amount of of levity and wisdom with him. Uh, but obviously there was you know like like a lot of people there was there was a lot of really really hard stuff to, to, to cope with. And, and I can't think of anything harder than losing a child, let alone three. Yeah. I'm just looking at his chart like we did with some of the others. And it's like, we don't know the times, so we don't know the sect for sure. But if he was born during the day, it's like, I can see that that Mars is very close to his sun where he has the sun in Sagittarius at seven degrees. And then the moon and then Mars is at 12 degrees Sag. And then Venus is at 21 Sag. So it's like, you have a, a, malef a malefic and a benefic that are co-present with the sun and perhaps there's something about that that's bringing sometimes very challenging things and other times very positive things like his marriage um when some of these eclipses are hitting in his life at different points yeah 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 i was the, wondering the, that myself yeah it's just something you know curious in terms of that we're still trying to figure out and since this is a methodology that we've developed somewhat recently um you know, learning some of the ins and outs of it and how to to distinguish between like one eclipse versus another or, or how the eclipse signature is really going to line up in a person's life. Um, so that's a really good example, though, of giving us some ideas and another example, like another really stunning example, like the one we ended with um, Nelson Mandela in the last episode and having so many positive and negative events in his, in his life coincide with eclipses showing another life here of somebody born on an eclipse that then had that eclipse signature echo throughout his life at different points. Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, it's too bad we don't have birth times for Nelson Mandela or like a re reasonably reliable one for Mark Twain, because it would be really interesting to know like, okay, so both of them have a lot of eclipses happen in their lives, but why is it like kids and marriage for Mark Twain? And why is it like arrests and life sentences and, and things of that nature for, for Mandela? Uh, uh, which what houses are these triggering, or or what is the reason for these very sort of uh, specific contexts in both their cases that are completely different from each other, but really consistent within the life of the um, the given individual? Yeah, I'm sure there's an answer to that, or there's some answers out there. So, um, but we'll have to leave that up to 
future research, perhaps future episodes. We'll have to see, uh, you know, what people think. And if we keep finding other Eclipse stuff, if we might do a follow-up at some point. So that's right. That's right. Why don't we transition into wrapping up here? Cause we're going to do a notoriously, a strikingly concise episode at just under two hours here for this, this one. Wow. Um, yeah, exactly. That's notable. Um, so we know in, in terms of wrapping up, we know that there's other major eclipses out there that we haven't found yet. And we hope that listeners will look into their own special interest categories and find some and then let us know. Because of course, you know, when somebody there's a difference between somebody that's trying to research something that's not very familiar with it or where it's a new subject to them, like some of these subjects are to to me, for example, versus somebody who that's like their favorite subject, that's something they specialize in, or that's something where they come from that place or that that culture, or they specialize in that field of work or or study or what have you, where knowing the ins and outs of something, like you know the history much better and you know what to look for um, and can do a much better job of that. So I'm really hoping that listeners will look into some of those different categories that, of things that they're really into and find and dig deep and find some other great eclipse connections that are out there in world history in different era areas. So this has opened up a whole new area of research and we're still getting a handle on it, but the results already I think are astounding and I'm sure there's a lot more to find as we continue to find more and continue to refine this approach um, as we learn more about it. So uh, in the end, I think you know astrology is even more strange and interesting and beautiful than we even imagined at this point, which is saying something because I think as astrologers, we already have that sense that astrology is amazing and that it's amazing that it works and does as much as it can. But adding this new layer with eclipses has taken it to just like another level in terms of the sort of what is the nature of the universe and like the magical way in which some of this works out and the intersection between fate and free will and fortune and destiny and the role of the individual versus the collective and everything else. There's so many great questions and implications from this that we're still uncovering, but I'm really excited about where it's heading. And um, yeah, and it was really fun doing this research with you, Nick. Thanks for doing it with me. And thanks for coming back again for part two. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I, I think it's, it's you know, really obvious that, uh, um, you know, when you look at astrology at this level, that, uh, you know, as far as the fate and free will question is concerned, things are certainly a lot more mapped out than one would expect, <laughs> whatever the ultimate answer is. There's, there's a lot that really does seem to be predestined in some way, pre-designed. Yeah, and that's really fascinating to me, seeing those threads of destiny and seeing some of that, those things in the birth chart and how it connects to events in a person's life that are super important just because you know like all eclipses are sort of mapped out ahead of time through the astronomical certainty of things and it's interesting seeing the intersection between people's circumstances and their choices especially around the time of eclipses and how that you know um comes together in order to create a person's destiny or fate or what have you yeah yeah. I mean, I, I don't claim to know the answer, but it just, it sure seems a lot more mapped out than you would expect uh, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. I, yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe that could be an episode at some point talking about that and the implications of this for discussions about fate and free will and everything else. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think I think it's pretty obvious that, that different people have access to different levels of free will, you know, like some of us just have more freedom than others. Um, some people are born with, with very, very little choice in life, and some people have a whole sort of, you know, a variety of options available to them. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that I would, I don't know if I draw the same conclusion. I have different, I think everybody's lives, I think we have the experience of making choices. And I think that's really important because yeah. that's part of yeah. life is making choices and being responsible for them in different ways. But then also, I do think that things are more predetermined than we realize at first and that astrology gives you hints of that and that that's true for, for everyone. Um, so that's that's a whole other topic, though. So we'll shelve yeah. that for now, <laughs> for the sake of this two-hour episode. I, I wasn't I wasn't challenging you, but sure, yes, I know we wanted to get it under two hours, and now we've just blown that. So um, uh, we're good. Close enough. So um, tell me about you. You are a consulting astrologer. You often call consultations, and people have been um, really excited about the reception of your Dagon um, astrology database for Solar Fire. Uh, the reception has been amazing, and people have been. Um, purchasing it and using it and getting a lot out of it over the past few weeks since we launched that in the last Eclipses episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, virtually all the research that we did for today's episode or any of the research you've ever seen me contribute to any episode of the Astrology Pass, uh, podcast was done using my uh, uh, chart database that I use in Solar Fire, but that can also run on Astral Gold. I also run it on Astral Gold. Um, so yeah, it, for anyone who's, uh, in, this is just a, an introductory offer. Eventually it's not my whole database. It's three files from my database, but eventually I want to make the whole database event, uh, available to people, but this is sort of an introductory offer to gauge the interest and the interest has been formidable. So we're really happy about that. Um, so yeah, the, the Dagon astrology da uh, database, or I like to call it the dad base. Uh, it's a large downloadable astrology chart base, uh, database. There's three files in it. One is a general natal file that has over 13,000 timed and untimed birth charts. Um, then there's uh, an American history file and a British history file uh, that has both nativities and events in those countries' histories. Um, and like I said, this is just my, my, my first, the first part of my database that I'm offering. There's a lot more there. For instance, all the material I, I use talking about Mark Twain or about Russian history, I have a Mark Twain file, I have a Russia file, I have all kinds of different files that um, astrology students and researchers might be interested in having. And of course, I want to make them available and affordable. So um, this has been the first step towards doing that. Um, if you're interested, it's uh, it's at the astrologypodcast.com slash database. Um, you can avail yourself of this intro introductory offer. It'll probably be a little more expensive when I launch the whole thing proper. So you might want to uh, get in while the while the cost is low. And um, yeah, besides that, I am available for consultations at nickdaganbestastrologer.com. Uh, natal readings, relocation, electionals, uh, rectification, you name it. Uh, um, I'm a, your one-stop shop. So people should check out your website, which is nickdaganbestastrologer.com. Um, they can get the database at theastrologypodcast.com slash database. And we forgot to mention in the last episode, but it's primarily for solar fire and it's searchable in solar fire, but can actually also be imported into Astro Gold. So those that use Astro Gold for Mac can also use the database. That's right. It is apparently more shareable than we could have even hoped for. Awesome. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as for myself, um, if you want to learn more about my approach to astrology and specifically how I read birth charts, if you're looking for a good course 
to study natal astrology. The primary course I teach is my Hellenistic astrology course, where I take people from basic concepts of Western astrology up through intermediate and advanced uh, techniques, including timing techniques. And you can find out more about that as well as my other courses on electional or horary or rectification at courses.theastrologyschool.com. Um, and if you uh, like this research that we're doing here on the eclipses episode and the other one, or want to support the podcast and support this research that we're doing so we can keep doing episodes like this, um, I'd encourage you to support me through my page on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash astrology podcast. And there you can get um, subscriber or patron benefits like early access to new episodes, exclusive episodes that are only for patrons. Um, or even the show notes for that we showed a little bit in this episode, I make available to patrons as an exclusive benefit. So if you want to support that work and support what I'm doing here on the podcast, if you get a lot out of it, you want to show your support, go to patreon.com slash astrology podcast. All right. I think that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for doing part two with me. This has been amazing. Like I said, this is probably some of the most important work I feel like I've done, even though we're up to 400 episodes and I've got a lot of top episodes in the past, this is definitely like up in the top five, maybe top 10 for sure, possibly even top five in terms of you know, episodes that I feel like are major contributions to the astrological community and to astrological research. So thanks for collaborating with me on this. It's been really rewarding and really fulfilling. Yeah, likewise. Although I would give it best ever. <laughs> Okay, number one. This is episode. this is the goat. This is the goat. Uh, no, not necessarily. You've you've done some pretty great episodes, but yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, I know we've said to each other off camera that um, working on these two episodes has really been uh, an amazing education for both of us. Um, already well versed in astrology, already very studied uh, for mo multiple decades, and yet it just goes to show there's just always, always, always more to discover. And and yeah, a lot of this was really fundamental. Um, and and some of this I'd sort of learned and then forgotten. Uh, but it was really great to sort of be in touch with all of this on this level, on the scale, and to have the chance to share it with everyone. Um, so yeah, thank you for for bringing me along for this ride. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, buddy. Um, and yeah, and hopefully um, I'd love people to do research. If you do and you find something interesting, the best place to let us know is to leave a comment uh, below the video version of this episode on YouTube. And then if we get enough, maybe we'll do a part three at some point. All right. That's it for this episode of the, the Astrology trilogy. Podcast. The trilogy. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> what is like a good trilogy? Like the return of the King would be the Lord of the Rings version. Right. Um, right. Okay, we'll we'll see uh, if people want us to do a third. Let us know in the comments. No Ewoks. <laughs> no. Oh yeah, that's a that's a different third. All right. Um, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that help to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on Patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including patrons Christy Mo, Ariana Amour. Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. In exchange, you'll get access to some great subscriber benefits, including early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the forecast each month, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, which is only available to patrons, a whole exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast that's for patrons, or you can even get your name listed in the credits. 
You can find out more information at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking for a reliable astrologer to get an astrological consultation with, then we have a new list of astrologers on the podcast website that we recommend for readings. Most of the astrologers specialize in birth chart readings, although some also offer synastry, rectification, electional astrology, horary questions, and more. Find out more information at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening both in person and online May 23rd through the 27th, 2024. You can find out more information at norwac.net.